It's Advent. The days are short and dark as December comes and as we approach Christmas. Advent means coming or appearance. And in this season of Advent, Christians all over the world celebrate the first coming or appearance of Jesus Christ. Born in Bethlehem of Judea, born for us, God with us, Emmanuel. But in the season of Advent, Christians also await the second coming of Jesus Christ. They recite in church services on Sunday these words, and he shall come again to judge the living and the dead. The biblical worldview is that Christ will come again. God holds the future and he's coming in person again. Since the dawn of time, people have been fascinated with what the future holds. They've looked to the stars, and so the whole science of astrology started, the stars, astronomy. And people still consult the stars for their future. In the developed world, what the future holds is keenly studied. Weather forecasting meteorology, climatology, what the weather will be next week, what the climate will look like in the next hundred years is a very contemporary concern. And then in economics, how share prices and stock prices, how economies will develop, what will the future hold for inflation, for example, which is consuming people uh, as we live at this present time. What does the future hold? Christians believe that God holds the future and that future will be revealed when Christ comes again. And so in the season of Advent, Christians draw heavily on the writings of Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet. The pen of Isaiah, the prophet, was poetic and prolific as God revealed to him what the future would hold. And so in this talk, we shall consider some of his lines from the second chapter of the prophecy of Isaiah and verse four, which read, and he shall come and he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. What a sentiment. What a future prospect when war would be no more. Let's explore this vision of Isaiah together in this talk under three headings. Setting. Source and scope. First, setting. Isaiah lived and worked in Jerusalem in the mid-8th century BC. He was what's called a court prophet. He was a chaplain to the Judean king of his days. He was also a contemporary of another prophet from uh, Jerusalem, Micah whose writings are again found in the book named after him in the Old Testament. 
Isaiah and Micah speak into a world of turmoil, where powers soar and fall. The dominant power of their times was Assyria. This nation was expanding from their base Nineveh, which is in northern Iraq, around the city of Mosul, with unquenchable passion and power. The threat and menace of the Assyrian aggression was live throughout Isaiah's long life and ministry. And the people of Jerusalem and Judea lived with this insecurity. Life for them was fragile. Things and their lives were in the balance. At times the sky drew dark with the prospect of war, of siege and of certain defeat. For them, all could be lost in a moment. And in the face of the Assyrian menace, Isaiah's plea was for his king and his people to remain faithful to God who held the future. What was the setting of his prophecy? What about the source of his prophecy? Isaiah was given a, vis- a, vis- a vision that someone was coming, the messianic king, who would be the arbiter of justice, of mediation and reconciliation. The opening lines of verse 4, he shall judge between the nations and decide disputes for many nations, and peace would ensue. There would be no more war. The means of war, in these lines, beat their swords, the practice of war, take up their swords, and the mentality of war, to train for war, to learn war, all alike would disappear in the closing lines of verse 4 of Isaiah chapter 2. The choice of implements, plowshares and pruning hooks is symbolic of a return to, to paradise, to Eden, where people would be right with God again in the future and right with each other and no longer under the domination of the evil one. And the source of all this was the coming king, the Messiah who would reign. The world would be at peace when he came and the land would have rest. People would live without fear. There would be no more war. What a hope. What a prospect. When the king would come. And finally, the scope of this prophecy of Isaiah. For Isaiah, the future dominates the present, his present and our present. That is the great Advent theme, the second coming of Christ the King. And of course, there is a tension between the present, whether that was in Isaiah's present in the 8th century BC or our present in the 21st century and the future. 
the not yet, which animates Isaiah's writings and which excites the reader. The breadth and scope of this vision of Isaiah is breathtaking. There would be no more war. The Edidic sword to plowshares and peace which ensues does not come as a result of human achievement but from the imposition of divine justice when the king comes. And all current efforts at peacemaking, though essential and necessary, are but best partial and provisional. The hope of the world lies in a coming king, Jesus Christ, and in Christ alone. Justice will not come from New York, Washington, Moscow, Beijing, or London, but from the throne of God, when Christ returns. And there will be war, no more. There is so much talk today, isn't there, of people being on the right side of history. Isaiah and his contemporary Micah remind us that at the end of history, when Christ shall come again, there is only one side to be on, and that is on the side of the King, the Lord's side. And so as we await God's future, that's where we need to be this Advent, on the Lord's side.